and welcome to Very Necessary. I'm Melissa Hemsley. I'm a chef, food writer and food activist. And I'm here to bring you the stories behind the objects that we just can't live without. I'll be finding out how they've evolved and why they mean so much to us. But I'm not doing this alone because each episode I'm joined by a guest to choose their very necessary object. And today I'm delighted to welcome the amazing vegan cook and author, Rachel Ammer. Rachel is a rising star of the food world. She has gained a ginormous following on YouTube, showing off her truly delicious vegan recipes. She's very passionate about the environment and eating sustainably, not to mention kickboxing and dancing to her favourite tunes. She's recently published her first book, which I highly recommend. It's called Rachel Ammer's Vegan Eats. And to top it all off, she's a first-time mum of a gorgeous six-month-old. Welcome, Rachel. We are so happy to have you here today. How are you? Hello, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me today. It's such a pleasure, Rachel. How's it been going? Good. I'm I'm really hungry now that you reminded me of all my YouTube recipes. I wish I could <laughs> click my fingers and a plate would appear or something I've made before and just, you know, give me some food. But other than that, I'm great. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. It's funny, isn't it? Because we both love food. We produce a lot of recipes. And I think people think that we've always got food to hand, but sometimes we're giving it away, saving it <laughs> yeah. for a shoot, got to retake it later. And it's just making me laugh that it's... Uh, that you're hungry right now, but <laughs> are you well hydrated? <laughs> I, I am. Fortunately, I am well hydrated. It's actually crazy to think about how dehydrated I spent a lot of my childhood just by opting not to drink water and really ignoring how important it is that we do actually get some water in us. I'm looking at my desk right now and it says, go for a walk, breathe and drink some water. <laughs> but I, I always forget to look at that note, even though it's at completely at my eye level. Um, what else do you do to keep spirits up, energy levels up, keep as healthy as possible? Whatever that means. What does healthy mean? I even sometimes don't like the word healthy because there's so many different ideas of healthy. Healthy is happy. So if you're happy, you're healthy. So I like to think <laughs> part of my day is hydrating because if I... Which is crazy that I didn't actually drink water when I was younger. Um, yeah, I need some water. And also my ritual in the morning, because my life is so hectic, I don't really get any... Like, I used to think I was busy, but now I'm yes. like, oh my goodness, like, I have no time. I have my morning ritual, which I've had since I was a lot younger, which is my tea. Um, it's very important part of my day. I've restricted myself to one a day. And so it's a very important time for me. So I start my day, I have a baby and um, he, he wakes me up when he wants to go, whether it's six or five or whatever. And um, at one point, if my mum is around, I'll drop the baby with my mum. If not, I just have to suck it up and he'll join me with my cup of tea and my toast. Ooh. And that is my happy place ritual that I have to, I have to have, because that is my only like me time, reminiscent of Rachel's. <sighs> BB before baby before baby I still <laughs> and and now I still need it I still need that moment in the day so it's become a ritual that was just you and now shared with with part of you with part of me <laughs> with with this a happy screaming baby <laughs> and would you say um that your cup of tea would be ta-da your very necessary object <laughs> <laughs> 
ta-da! It really is my necessary object. I think I told someone that my tea was my object and they were like, oh, uh, really? That's a bit boring. I was like, no, but you don't understand. (laughs) It's very necessary for my sanity. (laughs) Oh, gosh, I'm with you. I, I don't think it's boring at all. But why so very necessary? Because you say it's a ritual since it began but what what does it feel like for you like what you know is it is it the temperature the taste the the particular mug the the just the ritual of it i have a very specific ritual very specific tea um brand that goes into a very specific temperature that is very hot and i like it to really sit in there and get really dark it has to be it has to have some good time to like what do you call what's the like word bruise it needs to brew i mean what it time are we to talking a whole song on the radio or you know what do you do lo- when it's brewing as long as i can as long as i can stand really then i put it in a mug then i get my plant-based milk mix it up and i do add sugar which is my dad's fault he introduced me to sugar and tea <laughs> very young temperature wise would you if it, if you've got distracted by the baby or life would you would you heat it back up yeah that can't happen it has to be a good temperature. And if something does distract me, I've, we've got to re- reload, reset. Okay, now we've got to, I'm not going to have that cold because I deserve more than that in life. I deserve a hot cup of tea. That's it. Let's not have a half temp tea. Let's have, you no. deserve it. Of all the things we all deserve, it's that. And because I stick to that one cup of tea, it has to be right. Otherwise the day could have been better. Okay, so I completely now understand why when we posed the question, Rachel, Alma, what is your very necessary object? You said... A cup of tea. A cup of tea. And not just a cup, a perfect cup. Okay, so you add your plant-based milk and you add a bit of sugar. And do you know that in the UK, we, almost all of us, add milk to our tea? I, I certainly do. Do you know why we add milk to the tea? I don't know why. Well, I'm also keen to find out. Um, I now need to introduce you our tea queen. We're all tea queens here today, but this is a, our tea expert queen. <laughs> I'd love to introduce you, Rachel, to Kat Summers. Kat is our Very Necessary's own head of stories. She has been relishing uh, digging deep into the history of tea for the last sort of month, getting absolutely in there with the full history, going back bazillions of years here she goes with all her facts hi cat welcome hello hi bazillions of years of tea <laughs> what did you find out the thing that really struck me is the way we drink tea in this country is not normal most mm. people around the world by far drink their tea black or without milk and, and to us that's just completely incomprehensible but in china where drinking tea is even more of a ritual than in the uk it's green or it's black it's never you never drank with milk and in north america and mainland europe it's almost Almost always served black with a slice of lemon. Hmm. See, I I have tried that before when someone's served it, and I liked it. But for me, it felt like a different type of tea. What What about chai tea? I do love a chai tea in India. See, this is this is why I'm not cultured because yeah, I've been introduced to like green tea and and like all the different health benefits it can have, a matcha tea and chai tea. But because I've stuck to my one cup of tea, I've stuck with my very builder's british cup of tea but i would love to know why i put milk in it well now plant-based milk so there are places like india uh, for instance where chai comes from does drink tea with milk with a blend of spices as well and lots of sugar so there are places that do drink tea with milk of course um and like in tibet some people drink their tea with yak's butter i found out 
Wow. <laughs> and in places like Malaysia and Singapore, there's tay tarik, which is tea mixed with condensed milk. And in Somalia, milk is often boiled before being added to tea with cardamom, cloves and cinnamon added too. Mm. So there are lots of different types Yum. of tea out there with milk. But when it comes to adding a splash of cold milk to tea, totally standard over here, we're really on our own. <laughs> and, I <w> and I wanted to know why. Now, I really had absolutely no idea that having a milk and two sugars in your cuppa was quite so unusual. So, okay, Kat, over to you. Talk us through what's happened. It's one of those cultural blind spots, so utterly normal for us to add a splash of cold milk to our tea. We've no idea the rest of the world thinks it's odd. And not just unusual either, but uniquely British. So why is that? Why did the Brits start adding cold milk to their tea? Well, to understand that, we have to go back over 200 years to the late 1700s, when tea was first gaining popularity in England. Specifically to 1789, the year revolution was brewing in France. Brewing, that's a tea joke. George III was king of Great Britain and Ireland, and the newly named USA had just got its first ever president, having thrown out the Brits after a dispute over tea, of course. And even more specifically than that, to the 26th of March, a Thursday, when a man in London called Joseph Ligo wrote a letter to his boss about an exploding teapot. Tea had been around for centuries before that, of course. Chinese legend has it that it was first invented in the year 2737 BC, when some leaves blew into the water a servant was boiling for his master, the Emperor Shen Nung. We've no way of telling if that's true, but there is evidence that people were drinking tea in China as early as a few centuries BC. Since then, of course, it's become deeply woven into Chinese history and culture. It was another 1800 years until there's any mention of it in Europe. In the 1600s, Portuguese missionaries brought back samples of the hot drink they'd been given during their travels, and Dutch traders in China started shipping it back home. It didn't arrive in England until 1662, when the Portuguese princess Catherine of Braganza arrived on our shores to marry Charles II and demanded tea as part of her rider. By the 1700s, tea was becoming more popular in England, but it was still pretty expensive. That's because China had a total monopoly over the production of tea. So to get to London, it had to be shipped thousands of miles over many months at sea and was taxed heavily when it arrived. Now, of course, tea is the great leveller. Everybody drinks it. But back in the 18th century, only the genteel upper classes had enough money to buy this exotic Chinese export. The British addiction to tea would eventually lead to some of the darkest moments in British history, what with the opium wars in China and the colonisation of India, both of which have repercussions today. So tea was associated with great respectability at home, but that image hid a lot of suffering and conflict. The well-heeled showed off their wealth and their privilege by using special tea sets to make and pour tea, much like the ones we use today, teapot, cups, saucers. And it's at this point we have to take a little tea break. Sorry, I couldn't resist. And delve into the history of pottery. That's right. To understand why us Brits drink tea with milk, we have to get our hands dirty, Patrick Swayze style, with clay, the stuff we make pots from. We may have played with the stuff or even shaped some on a potter's wheel, but what is clay? Well, it's a mixture of some dirt, basically, literally some sand or mud, and a metal called a flux. That's why it's kind of cool and slippery to the touch. 
At the turn of the 18th century, most European potteries still used iron as the flux, which produced a darker colour clay, good for earthenware pots and plates. All good, solid things, but not particularly refined to suit certain sophisticated tastes. In China, however, they used calcium as the flux, which produced a white and more delicate end result that was much stronger too, called porcelain. By the way, porcelain and China, as in fine China, is the same thing. English-speaking countries call it China because it originally came from, you guessed it, China. Genius. China was the only country capable of making porcelain too. They'd had to invent a special type of kiln that got hot enough to melt calcium. But they kept this new technology secret from the rest of the world. Kind of like how Google guard the algorithm that powers their search results. Or KFC's secret blend of 11 herbs and spices. Sorry, Tennessee fried chicken, but you'll never be as good as the real thing. China could drive up the price of porcelain as a result. By the 18th century, every fashionable family in Europe wanted posh China. The demand was so high, other countries were desperate to work out how the Chinese made it. Porcelain was even dubbed white gold, second only to gold itself when it came to precious materials. And after experimenting with different clay mixtures, a few European potteries managed to produce something that looked like China. The Meissen porcelain factory in Germany produced a hard white porcelain that wasn't quite as refined as the Chinese original, but did the job. And other potteries in France, England and Italy used powdered glass to get the translucent effect of Chinese porcelain. It certainly looked the part, but it wasn't as hard. And then in London, a painter called Thomas Fry started a porcelain factory in an area called Bow, close to the city's cattle markets and slaughterhouses. It meant he had easy access to animal bones, which could be ground up and turned into a white material called bone ash. Thomas added this bone ash to his porcelain mixture, which made the end result much harder. And voila, bone china was born. By the latter half of the 18th century, high-end crockery was big business. Factories making this new British-made porcelain were springing up all over England in places like Stoke-on-Trent, Worcester and Derby. One such factory, the Royal Crown Derby Pottery Works, made porcelain pots, vases and tea sets, which were then sent down to London, where they were displayed in a showroom for the fashionable and well-off to buy. Which brings us back to our friend Joseph Ligo. A porcelain salesman by trade, he'd spotted a problem with the tea sets being sold in Royal Crown Derby's London shop. They were selling well, but more and more customers were coming back with the same complaint. The delicate porcelain cups and pots they'd bought kept cracking and even exploding when something hot was poured into them. Something hot like tea. This phenomenon was called flying, and on 26 of March 1789, Joseph wrote a letter to the owner of the pottery in Derby demanding something be done. He said he wished something could be done respecting the teapots to prevent them flying, for the disgrace is worse than anything, and it loses the sale of many sets. Joseph responded by giving his customers strict instructions to warm the pot before filling it with hot water, which many people do to this day. Another precaution soon became commonplace. Once the tea was brewed, owners of English porcelain teacups poured milk into the bottom of the cup to cool the liquid down before it hit the china teacup. It had to be milk and not cold water because untreated water was simply not safe in cities in the 18th century. 
It was often the source of infection and disease, with cholera or typhoid or dysentery being potential killers. A lack of clean water is still a problem for millions of people across the world, even today. It affects more than just their cup of tea, impacting on their health, their education and their livelihoods in some cases. Adding a splash of milk also had the extra benefit of masking the taste of tea. The tea being imported to Britain in the 18th and 19th centuries, and even now, was often bitter, on account of it being lower quality or because it had spent months at sea in the long journey from China, or the new tea estates springing up in Bangladesh or India. So, there you have it. Us Brits drink our tea with cold milk to protect our cups from exploding. A hierarchy soon grew up around when milk was poured in too. If you poured milk into the cup first, it indicated your china might crack and must therefore be cheaper, lower quality stuff. But if you poured the tea in first, then added milk, it suggested you had faith in your china to withstand the heat, meaning it was expensive and high quality, and most probably from China itself, not Derby. And that's how the great milk first or last debate began. Pouring your milk in first meant you were lower class, and pouring it in last meant you were fancy. Can I just say, my mind is blown in so many <laughs> different ways. If you could see my face, like, during that whole story, like, my mouth just drops like, no, no way. <laughs> fascinating cat yeah applause to you what a delve into the history of tea i love a period drama i'm thinking about downton abbey and watching you know mrs patsmore warming up the pot uh, as she did so and what i thought she was doing it for versus not sorry but bone china was made in bone <laughs> What? But that was the bit that I couldn't believe it. I've heard bone china all my life, but it's actually made from bones. And I didn't know that either. My mind is still just, sorry, I wasn't trying to ignore you, Melissa. No. I'm still just like disorientated by all the facts that I just learned today. <laughs> Rachel, you said you were, um, your mind was just, I was like flash every, like, I guess, you know, when people say your life flashes before your eyes, all the tea, you know, m m moments and symbolism of my life, I suddenly started thinking about Alice in Wonderland and teapots. I was I was judging my grandma in my head, thinking about all her china, and I was like, which one's bone china? Is did she have any that was actually from China with real porcelain? Like I was thinking about it, and even the the milk thing, because that's like a common joke, like about how you like your tea and how yes. dark you like it in Britain. And I don't put my milk in first because. Otherwise, because before I would always put the tea bag in first, then on top of the tea bag, I'd put the hot water and then I would let it brew and mix. And if you put the milk in before, then I couldn't get a rich enough cup of tea. So I would yeah. never put it in before. So I'd always put it in on top. So maybe Loki, my ancestors, my Welsh ancestors, maybe they had the real stuff and maybe I was kind of following their traditions because they didn't have the cheap stuff that would break. They had the real stuff. Exactly. I have a picture at home of my great grandma's, my great great grandma's 18 children in Wales on a farm. So, I mean, they wouldn't have had much China, but she had a few pieces that yeah. I'm now going to go and, and look at and maybe try and determine whether it was made from bones. 
I didn't even know that that China was the same as porcelain, and that we co- we named it after China, where it came from. That's just so basic. So lazy. It's so, so lazy. lazy. <laughs> I mean, I, I've always, of course, I know what China is, but I had no idea that that's all. Oh, it's just so. Every other country just calls it porcelain. Do you do you use a cup with a saucer? I mean, I never do. But actually, if I'm no. if I'm ever in a restaurant and someone serves it, I do. Do you know what I like about it? I like anything that stops me from having a f- my phone in my hand. So if I'm holding mm. my saucer and the handle, then I really enjoy that ritual. I think it adds to the ritual, but I wouldn't do it myself because that's just another thing to wash up and who's got time for that? It's another thing to break. <laughs> that's how I see it So it's another thing to accidentally break. I just have a really, like, I don't even have like a cute, delicate cup of tea. Like I have a huge mug that I fill <laughs> to the very top. It can't be too much because it's a watery cup of tea. I've just yes. I've got the perfect measurements for my perfect mug. It's so bougie that I, if someone offers me a cup of tea, I always say no because in my head I'm like, you're not going to make it the way I like it and I don't want to have a cup of tea I don't enjoy. And no. I don't want to offend anyone, so I'm just going to go home and make my own one. <laughs> it really struck me that because water was so unsanitary and could kill you, that that's another reason that people opted for milk instead of adding water to the teapot as an option for not exploding their flying teapots. <laughs> and that really struck me, but we were talking about hundreds of years ago, but now, this year, the shocking fact that one in 10 people around the world don't have clean water, don't have access to clean water at home is so frightening and horrifying. And something that I really feel isn't talked about enough. I think it's definitely not talked about enough. And mm. it's taken for granted so much in the West. Like, it, it really is a privilege to have the clean water. And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be that way because our bodies need it. And there definitely needs to be more education on it. Yep. Absolutely. One thing that I found so important to me as I've been going on my sustainability journey is always tracing back the foods that I love and who made them. So thinking about the the tea workers and how many of them perhaps haven't got access to water um, or have limited access to water. I've sort of laughed a few times this year saying my hands are chapped or, you know, so dry. My hands have aged from washing, but what a privilege it is that I'm able to wash my hands multiple times in the day. And I'm just thinking about water and how to this very day now water will kill you or or spread disease or or make you incredibly sick as you said we take it for granted um but having clean water is everything so take the people picking tea uh for example so in bangladesh bangladesh is one of the biggest producers of tea in the world so chances are you've drunk a cup or two of tea from there but in 2010 the charity water aid began working with tea pickers there to improve their health and well-being, simply by making sure they have clean water to drink and wash with and toilets to use during the working day. And they've reached 52,000 people so far across 26 tea estates, and they're hoping more estates will follow suit in Bangladesh and in other tea-producing regions like India and Kenya, where this work is already underway. It's interesting what you were saying about toilets too, because especially for women, young girls, when they have their periods, or just people being able to go to the toilet who might have to hold it in all day which we all know can lead to all sorts of infections and just a horrible feeling it's it's crazy to think of how many ways i use water in my day to day in a multitude of different ways i wake up i brush my teeth what do i use i use my water i wash my face i use my water 
I then hydrate my body by drinking my water and then, oh, I'm cooking, I'm preparing food and I'm chopping and I have something on my hand. I quickly just turn the tap on and I rinse it. And you you know that when you do that in all those different ways, you're using clean, safe water. So how much does it affect your day to day if every time you need to just rinse your hand, hydrate your body, wash your face, brush your teeth, wipe something off you? If you don't have access to clean water in all those different moments, you can just think about how many infections and bacteria and how much more difficult it would be in your day-to-day life just to to function in a, a healthy way we think about health in like what we're eating but in very simple terms if you don't even have the clean water how do you keep yourself healthy it's so crazy to really think about we're talking of course about how um, vital it is to have access to clean water um, for our health but also finances if you're being paid for how much work you could do a day i guess yield yield of things you do or people that been given targets then if you're taking time out to have to go far or, or seek out water or seek out a clean toilet um you're losing your money you're you're being clocked out you're you're it's it's hugely affecting how much money you're taking home it's so crazy and it would be so frustrating because it's not only are you then losing out on your money or potentially your job, which has a multitude of effects when you're relying on that to just survive. It's also like the the whenever you have a, a problem, a health problem, a headache, uh, the first thing that well, I was taught to think about it was, well, have you drank enough water today? Because it's it's the first point of call when there is something wrong are you hydrated because that can have so many different effects on the body and to think that in that simple way of looking at your health if you're working and and hard labor and you need to go and hydrate yourself so that you can work you can provide you can be okay you're then penalized it's so it's it's very heartbreaking and Mm. like we say it's just so taken for granted yeah we 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 absolutely do take it for granted um but having clean water is absolutely everything and the more we talk about it the more we can help make that change happen for sure i was just thinking about um the role that the big tea brands have to play and the role that tea bags have to play because there's so many great brands now who are plastic free in their tea bags, aren't they? Which is so important to sustainability. I know sustainability is really important to you. Yes, which is why I wanted to get, um, what what's it when you, um, you just buy the leaves basically? Loose. I should really improve my tea terminology. <laughs> Loose tea because that will reduce on the waste as well. And I, because I think I watched like BBC Watchdog once a few years ago and they went into like the plastic in tea and that also blew my mind because we're finding plastic in our bodies in so many different ways because of these little ways, <laughs> your everyday cup of tea having mm. plastic. That's actually mind-blowing. And if I, if you think about how many cups of tea we drink in this country and when a brand changes or, or has always perhaps ensured that they are plastic-free, what an environmental impact that has for everyone um, and how interesting that is and and how I think it's so important to support those that are doing any brand right especially yeah. tea our beloved tea what uh talk talk me through what else you're interested in, in your sustainability journey or what people come to you and they say I'd like to get I'd like to become more sustainable I'd love to eat more plants I'd love to 
get to know the provenance of what I eat. Yeah, it's really like, um, it's a journey. It takes time. What I like to tell people is just step by step, like try and empty your fridge before you top it up. What's great about vegetables and things like that, plant whole plant-based foods, like you can't go wrong when you cook them. Like with meat and fish and things, you need to, oh, has this run out of date? Is this going to make me ill? When it's fruit and vegetables and whole plant-based foods, like you, you can be really free and be really creative and have a lot of fun and just throw things in. If you have a stew, if you have a curry, there's no vegetable that's really going to ruin it. So there's like lots of different ways in a very simple term. So just try and use what you have and maybe like look at what you're throwing out at the end of the week and be like, did I need to throw away all that food or could I have just snuck it in and incorporated it into my meals? to just reduce it that's what I like try and do as like a beginner stage of trying to cut down on food race I love your tip about um one great place to start is thinking what have I thrown away this week and having that reflection and like not this beating yourself up but just going okay how can I do a little bit better next week because it is so important isn't it for sustainability it also saves you money it's also the morals like it's the right thing to do we can't waste something that someone just tracing it all the way back has grown and toiled over and the resources. Well, personally now, I know you've had your one for the day, Rachel, but I'm really craving my brew now. And I'm definitely going to have that extra moment of gratitude and reflection. And I'm I'm just <laughs> I just can't wait to just go and tell someone some tea facts. What about you? Are you going to get on the phone to your grandma? No, first thing first, I'm going to have two cups of tea today because what? I deserve it now. And I do gratitude as part of that moment. I don't, I've, I'm a big fan of gratitude because it is the most uplifting feeling to really sit and be grateful for the things that you have and having that moment and that cup of tea. And now knowing the origin stories of my cup of tea, there's even more gratitude to be had in that moment so the facts are then going to be transferred to my grandma where i'm going to be dropping some <laughs> knowledge bombs on catherine who brought it over from portugal <laughs> <laughs> that's so brilliant and i would love to say thank you to you not only for giving us some precious time um to chat today uh, for the very necessary podcast but also i really do appreciate you picking tea because I love my tea and I have thoroughly enjoyed learning more from Kat um, and cherishing my cups from morning, noon and night. I'm a, th I'm a three times a day girl. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you for having me. And it's so nice to chat with you, Militia, as well. I know this podcast has been great. Like I've had knowledge bombs. I've been hanging out with my friends. I'm going to go now and make it up a cup of tea. This is fantastic. <laughs> and Kat, our tea queen, you've blown our minds. You've filled us with so much knowledge. Thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. I might even have a cup of tea myself. Thank you so much, Kat. And thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you. And big shout out. Thank you so much, WaterAid, for all the work that you do for making clean water more accessible. Rachel Alma, thank you so much for joining me today to share your very necessary object. Very Necessary is brought to you by WaterAid, a charity working worldwide to make sure that everyone, everywhere, has clean water, decent toilets and good hygiene. If you'd like to find out more about what WaterAid does, like their project working with tea pickers in Bangladesh, please visit wateraid.org or follow the link in the episode description. I'm Melissa Hemsley. Thank you so much for listening and talk to you soon. 
Very Necessary is a Water Aid and Story Things production. <laughs>